Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited to be here as I always am. So we're going to get into an interesting conversation today. Like Over the last handful of years, we've seen investors move away from the oil and gas sector, often looking towards alternative energy companies as the answer to our future. Not only is this a conversation that's taking place on the global stage, it's a reality that hits very close to home here in Alberta. Joining me on the show to discuss this, as well as the new world of energy investing, welcome Brian Belanger, CEO and Director at ARC Financial Corp. How are you doing, Brian? Good, Tyler. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm quite, I'm quite excited about this conversation as I, I don't work directly in the oil and gas sector. I've lived in Alberta since 2000 and my wife works in the sector. And I've, it's, it's, it's something that's very close to my heart and I always feel I can learn more. So before we dive into that side of it, in case anybody has never heard of ARC Financial, which I'm going to venture most of my audience has, maybe you want to give us a quick little uh, elevator pitch and set the stage of uh, who you guys are and what you're all about. Yeah, uh, so ARC itself is a uh, 30-plus-year-old business, and I have the good fortune of being the fifth CEO. And when it was originally founded, um, one of the key premises of the founders was, um, why are all these great Canadian and Calgary-based oil and gas companies having to go to New York or, or Toronto to raise money? Why can't they raise it here locally? And that was the big vision at the beginning, and that ultimately morphed into a private equity firm. And uh, today we've got nine funds that we've raised, three active funds under management, and um, we are Canada's largest private equity firm focused on energy, both in terms of assets and size of team. And we primarily invest in upstream oil and gas, uh, oil field services, and then as well the energy transition. Which I think is going to be a big part of our conversation today, the, tra- the transition side. So. Maybe, maybe I'll ask you, how far back do we need to go to kind of start this dialogue? I appreciate 30 years there was a problem of companies having to leave here to get money to bring back here. So you're like, hey, quick, as any good entrepreneur, that's an pro- obvious problem. We should solve it. If I think about, you know, 20s at 2012, 2013, this transition to, and I don't want to be negative when I say it because I'm certainly in no way thinking that, this negativity towards the oil and gas sector as an investment class, as an area of like, well, we should invest in that because it doesn't fit the right narrative. And I always really get troubled by when marketing and, and PR starts to lead policy. And so how far back do we need to go in your kind of, before we can say, when did this really start to transition, which leads to, you know, kind of the conversation we'll have about what's happening today as it's a broader suite of investment around energy. But when did that start to become like, quote unquote, an issue for companies here in Alberta? Well, you know, from Mark's perspective, we were investing in renewables since since 2000, so it goes okay. all the way back um, to funds two and three. Now, I would say we were probably a little ahead of the curve in that that time frame. A lot of that was driven on clean tech. Um, the it didn't have the same policy tailwinds that it has today. It didn't have the same um, sort of global you know grab in terms of ESG and tackling carbon and needing to do something different. So we were probably a little bit too early. And then I would say it next started to take hold in around 2011, 2012, okay. um, when um, you know, we were continuing to invest in the space and people were starting to look forward about other alternative modes of energy generation, in part led by the environment, but not necessarily. And then I'd say ESG really, I mean, it, it has taken hold sometime in the last three, four, five, five years and has been on a steep upward trajectory ever since then. And so, you know, this is something that actually, if you look back on, the oil and gas industry has been on it for some time, looking at how they can transition. But it's really taken, like, rocket fuel here more recently, just given what's happened with global warming and, and, and where society wants to go and where the policymakers want to take us. So 
I, you know, I, I think in this transition, there's tremendous opportunity in both oil and gas and, and, and the renewables, and we can talk about both today. I appreciate that and like that that social license and the public really being so much more invested in that and investors you know driving decisions with their dollars thinking about and maybe this is on my own narrative so maybe tell me if, if this is even correct thinking about and I've had conversations with different oil and gas leaders over the last couple of years on the show talking about all of a sudden well geez it's getting harder to get access to capital now like we can't get money to just be the oil and gas company that we were X amount of years ago and that is that change has that changed and where are we at with that and just curious like there's Obviously, a big backbone of this province and our success here has been on the types of companies you've invested in. Has it gotten harder for those companies to raise those funds, maybe outside of kind of your own portfolio? But is that a, is that a true, do I have a true sense of that when I think about it going, wow, it's really been tough for those companies to raise money in the last five years versus what it was the five years before that? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's, I mean, we're talking at a really interesting time here, right? Oil's up 10 times. <laughs> we are. Today. This was six months ago. It would be a very over, different episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of by the day that we could have these conversations. But no, I mean, the oil and gas industry had a couple things conspiring against it over the last five years. It was um, the world's emerging focus on carbon and, you know, and some of the high-intensity industries like the oil and gas business. People were beginning to focus on that. I mean, the other thing, though, the oil and gas business did not have going for itself for close to the last, uh, well, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years is uh, we were losing money. <laughs> the, and the, so the, the price was in, the, was, was in the toilet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at the index over that eight-plus-year period, um, you know, you, you can't do both. You, you can't be a high-carbon-emitting industry and lose investors' uh, money. <laughs> I mean, you are appealing to nobody in that situation. Now that now has turned around, and I like to tell people that today it is the most profitable it's been in my career, as well as valuations are the lowest. And I think the marketplace is trying to figure it out and saying, well, well, we're into this transition, and there will be a transition at some point in time where we start to use less fossil fuels to power um, our world. And the, and the investment community and, and quite frankly, the whole global community is trying to figure out, well, then where should that oil and gas come from? And who should be the producer of that last barrel? assuming that there is a last barrel in, into the future. And so now companies are really trying to plot out their, their, their place in life as it relates to ESG. And by the way, ESG and carbon is just one component of it, right? There's many components to what I would say describe the very best barrel. And Canada has a lot going for it in that regard. So uh, you're right, cost of capital is up. It's harder to find capital. And you know what used to be kind of uh, interesting, if you were out talking about ESG five years ago, now you don't even get a conversation with an investor unless you're willing to you lead with your ESG uh, priorities. Which is so interesting. And like, like, basically that feels like it's almost changed overnight. Like you said, it was always in a backdrop, but now it's, it's, it's become a, the, it's the start of the conversation or it's no conversation at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I thought the one guy that, I mean, as we headed into COVID, you, I was wondering myself, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, is the, is the globe going to get distracted in a sense? And I thought mm -hmm. Larry Fink of BlackRock said it very eloquently midway through COVID and as we were, you know, developing vaccines, the globe had a problem. They came together to try to resolve it in a global pandemic. And I think the world saw what, when you do come together, you can, make, can have a lot of impact and you can make a lot of changes. And in some ways that's emboldened the world hmm. once again to say, well, we have a climate problem, so let's get together and try to solve it as a collective. And so it's, sort, it's, it's an interesting perspective that Larry had. I really like that because, you know, at the early days, there was, it was such a unifying force that as we all know recently, there's when we're not gonna go down this rabbit hole, it has been very divisive in our society around but those first three to six months, never have we been all brought together by a common foe like we had at that time and to see what was actually possible. 
something just yeah, standing so back to what, same, what sorry go ahead no and then they say the same thing now about carbon and, and the yeah. world's need to transition and so i think there's renewed energy into saying well this is a problem that we can solve now we can have lots of debate over how quickly we can solve it and uh, th that's where I think there's a lot of range and noise in the conversation. We're still a bunch of humans with differing perspectives. When you talk, when you, you touched on evaluations, and I'm, I'm curious just from, again, living in Calgary and living and investing and playing in this space, 2012, 2013, where are we at in kind of the evaluation cycle? Like I heard you make the comment, we've never been make more money with our, with our evaluations being so low. How far or how far off are we getting back to where some of these companies that you're involved in or that we all kind of know in, in this province, if, whether we're involved or not, where are we at in the cycle of getting back to quote unquote where we were in that maybe 2012, 2013, 2014 era when things started to move in a very different direction? Yeah, I mean, the, well, the, the the share prices are up and and the uh, the stocks are up, but it's the the cash flow multiples that are at all time lows. And there's so much disruption happening in the industry. I mean, you've got the you know, you've got what's happening in Ukraine over there and the geopolitics and people wondering how long is that going to take hold and what's that going to mean. You've got, as I said, a real active debate about how quickly will the globe transition or diversify into other forms of energy, implying that at some point demand will roll over and that has a that has a real impact once demand rolls over it will have a real meaningful impact on the valuation of those those barrels um, and then you've just got commodity prices moving around like like you have and so there's a real debate in the marketplace is this here to stay how long is this macro window here for how long will the transition take and then you layer on top of all that the fact that oil and gas investing in particular but energy just generally it's become a very emotional topic and so you've got people leaving, pulling out, kind of I'm out, regardless of uh, the economic cost to my institution or my business. And then you've got others that haven't been in the sector for over a decade saying, huh, this looks inexpensive with high cash flow yields. Maybe I should be buying. So a lot of the stock is churning over too. So uh, okay. anyway. A, a, new, I mean, a whole new group coming to the table. <laughs> yeah, well, there's groups leaving um, because their stakeholders have asked them to leave. And we can talk about that and, and debate the divestment movement if you'd like. And then there's uh, new groups. I mean, there are groups actively investing in Calgary that haven't been in energy for 10 or even 20 years that are just saying, this looks like an opportunity. So well, sort of let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that because that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't always make the headlines or doesn't get into, you know, which is the root of the show. How do we get things on people's minds that maybe they wouldn't have run into? So w where are those new investment dollars coming? You said haven't invested for 10 or 15 years and are now looking at the space and are they, is it because they go, you know, we like what we're seeing on the ESG side and while we really like what we're seeing on the financial side, so there's permissibility there. Like what's, what is that looking like and where, where are those coming from? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a variety of groups. I mean, the reality is there's certain groups out there that are non-ESG sensitive. Okay. Um, okay. And so they're just saying, where is the best opportunity for me to place my capital on a global scale? And uh, oil and gas to them looks like deep value compared to a lot of the other things in the marketplace. Then you've got a, a group like um, CPP or BlackRock, who I, I mentioned before, that, you know, and again, Larry Fink came out rather publicly recently saying, you know, we as institutions need to invest, continue to invest in oil and gas because it will be the backbone that supports the transition. And without a healthy oil and gas sector, we're not going to get there. Now, he would also say you got to invest in the sector the right way, groups that are doing it responsibly, sustainably, etc. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the generalists that, as I said, maybe have shied away because they didn't see a return on the capital and now they're coming back into the marketplace and saying, well, boy, again, I'm seeing yields and returns that have drawn me back into this segment. So 
There's a variety of different pools, um, and uh, many of them haven't been in the space for some time. Interesting. So when you're having conversations with these groups and you're stewarding, you know, reading through some of your material today, and it was, you know, early stage oil and gas, but then I also read, and words do matter, established growth-focused energy transition companies. So when you're having those dialogues with investors and looking at people coming in to your, I think it's Fund 9, that, that you've widened out to take into consideration, like specifically by the press release I read today, energy transition. How are those how are those conversations balancing out of like is it I'm really interested in the transition side of this energy investment conversation or is it just looking at it now as a broader pool of assets that all fall under energy I'm just curious how much that filter between oil and gas and energy transition plays how is it blending together and how how kind of finicky are those conversations that you're having with different players I I think I mean they, they do um, offer different um, investment risks and return profiles okay. right now. So I think people are, for the most part, looking at them differently. As, as I said, you know, traditional oil and gas looks highly profitable, high yields, low valuations, energy transition, but you know, limited growth. The companies aren't growing. The industry's not looking for them to grow. So you know, lack of growth, which is in part reflected in, in the low multiples. Mm. You compare yeah. that to energy transition, where there's incredible tailwinds, not only from a uh, sort of just general population point of view. You've got the policy tailwinds leading into you know, regulatory tailwinds. You've got um, uh, pledges being made by, by certain governments where we're going to meet things, whether it might be 20, 20, or 2030 or, or 2050. I think we all know the big net the zero by 2050 header that floats around, right? Exa <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you start to look at that um, uh, and, and you look at what's going to be required to meet those goals, we're going to need four to five times, depending on who, who you read, the level of investment into the space as we are making today. And so from an investor's point of view, that draws you in. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, you've got all the growth, as, as I talked about. It just looks like a sector with a lot of growth. Now, now, you're paying a lot more for the entry price when you compare it to the oil and gas business. So I think smart energy investors, I mean, one thing now is no time like, you know, now. Like, do not abandon your e energy strategy now if you are an institutional investor. You know, you've been waiting for this market for some time. Don't abandon it now. And I think smart investors will invest in both because um, there's some natural hedges that play out and then there's just different opportunities that are coming out of it. And so a smart energy investor should want to remain exposed to energy. And quite frankly, if they want to do it in the safest possible way, they'll do it in the, in the clean, good energy. And that includes clean, good oil and gas as well as the energy transition side. It feels like kind of listening to you talk that also, from an investor perspective, I'm interested in investing in energy as a broad sector. I've never had more opportunities or more places to diversify and hedge. So with that kind of said, let's unpack a little bit because energy transition companies is, again, it's a nice header that could mean five, 10 different things to 10 different people. So when you guys think about energy transition companies, what, what can, what's on your radar and like what are some of the actual companies and problems and areas that they're solving that kind of get you really excited for an opportunity perspective? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, uh, Tyler. I mean, we ourselves are, play a particular role in the marketplace, and, and you, you mentioned it earlier. We view ourselves as company builders. So we're not looking for early stage technology that might be a game changer, but brings a high degree of risk. We're also not looking to buy established operating renewable infrastructure like windmills or, or solar farms. That's a different cost of capital. We, we, quite frankly, are interested in either taking that late stage or commercialized technology and building a company around it, or working with a developer to build that wind farm or build that renewable diesel facility and then monetizing on it to the uh, infrastructure owner. So, and, and there is a gap in capital in that marketplace. There's lots of people that are playing clean tech, 
Lots of people that are happy to own the assets once they're up and running. Not as many people that want to take the, um, the in a sense, construction or capital risks associated with building something. So that's that's where we're we're playing. And when we looked, uh, we have a I have the good fortune of having an internal research institute led by Jackie Forrest and Peter Trzakian, and and it was our research institute that led us off when we started to look at this marketplace again and say, where should we be? And they, in, in total, looked at 20 different neighborhoods across. And it is a wide spectrum of opportunities and you know, places that you can play if, in fact, you want to figure out how to turn the wheel on the car differently, if you know what I mean, at the end of the day. And there's four that we've gravitated towards that we think are presenting opportunity that fits with our capital and our risk return profile. And so number one is carbon capture and storage. I mean, it's an easy one for us. It's a natural extension of our EMP investing. I think it's going to be required to have a meaningful impact on the targets that people have set for themselves, I, I, aka net zero by 2050. And it just fits well with what we have in Alberta. We've got the poor space underneath our feet, so why not try to take advantage of it? So carbon capture storage is number one. Number two is uh, what we're calling renewable services and manufacturing. So akin to what the oil field service industry is to upstream oil and gas, this would be the service and manufacturing businesses associated with the energy transition. And you know, we've, we've made one investment in this area into a solar panel manufacturer uh, that's, that's producing residential solar panels. And so in a sense, you know, I like to describe to our investors that it's like building pickaxes for the gold rush. If you believe there's gonna be a big build out in residential solar, well, we wanna play that by coming into the manufacturing chain. And we've got experience in, in doing that. Uh, then two other ones quickly is the developers. Um, this is a space that we've invested in the past. Uh, most recently, it was with a company called Blue Earth that we started about 10 years ago, built up and sold. Uh, we, we started it and built it with Ontario teachers and then sold our interest back to them. Uh, very successful company and it carries on today. It's one of the larger independent uh, wind and solar and run of hydro developers in North America. So building wind farms and solar farms, we would continue to do that. And then finally, biofuels. Um, this is a unique opportunity, we think, and, and what's unique about biofuels that maybe not everyone will naturally appreciate is, you know, whether it's renewable diesel or renewable natural gas, um, the advantage of something like that is it can just slipstream into existing infrastructure. So you don't have to repipe our energy pathways to bring something to market. Uh, you can just take some renewable natural gas and I mean, renewable diesel, you could put it into your diesel car interchangeably with traditional diesel. So that's a compelling fuel if you want to make it easy for the consumer to adopt. Versus, you know, the hydrogen conversation where we don't have an infrastructure to initially distribute that, where, you know, the sounds great, but then, wow, what needs to come behind it? And there's so much infrastructure here that we take for granted because it's just been in place for so long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look back at energy transitions in the past, the, the ones that um, in some ways were the most successful are the ones that were able to piggyback off of the existing infrastructure. And if you look at <laughs> just simply the elect electrification of whale oil lamps or, or candles, I mean, it was sticking a wire through the existing infrastructure and putting a bulb in at the, at the other side. Um, and so that's one of the things that made that so compelling as a transition from whale oil onto the next one. Because it was easy. It was <laughs> so easy. I mean, it was, and, and it was, the more yeah, barriers. It was easy to see the path to success. Yeah. It, it, yeah, the path to the consumer, basically. 
curious from your guys from an investment perspective obviously your history and your reason for being was to bring investment dollars to projects that were happening here in Alberta and Western Canada when you talk about like this suite of four for energy transition opportunities how much of that for you guys is happening in Alberta versus abroad well, you mentioned you know uh, Blue Earth being one of the largest in North America just curious do they start here do you look and do you look like how big is your preview when you're looking for these investments versus what sounds like your original you know value proposition was to bring those funds to the these Alberta-based companies. Sounds like it's expanded significantly to where, wherever the opportunity may exist, if I'm hearing it correctly. Yeah, I think I think uh, upstream oil and gas is different than energy transition. I mean, and for those yeah. of you that have been to Calgary, you know, I don't know what it is, 99% of oil and gas companies reside within the 10 square blocks of downtown Calgary. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Canada, the Plus 15 is such a fertile hunting ground. <laughs> no, exactly. So it's all right here in your backyard. And then Alberta or Western Canada is the fourth or fifth largest producer in the world. So on the backs of that combination, you know, why leave Calgary or, Cal or Calgary and or Edmonton? There's enough to do right. in a very competitive way right here in your backyard. With respect to energy transition, there is still tons to do right here in our backyard. But it, it, because it's, it, it's not in the same way, like the resource is here. So you want to invest here. In energy transition, the resource could be in Ontario, it could be in, in you know, Midwest uh, US. So, you know, it, it, uh, investing in energy transition, you know, we definitely have a Canada first, Calgary first, if that makes sense, but we're willing to go North American wide to find the best opportunities. Which ties into my next question. You mentioned like to really drive the energy transition we need to meet some of these goals, we need to four or five times more the investments. I'm curious from being on the investor side, are we lacking money or are we lacking deals? Or is it either one? Like, because again, I've talked to people that put funds together. It's like, wow, you need to have enough deal flow to get enough money put into play to make it kind of work. So I'm curious from your perspective, are you guys getting enough opportunities or is it a combination of both? Do we need that we have the right funding in place and or then do we have the right companies to actually be able to deploy? Uh, I'm fairly optimistic that we've got both happening pretty quickly. I mean, there okay, are always right. segments. You know, and I would, yep. I still would argue for the time being that growth capital segment, there's probably, you know, that we're trying to play, there is a gap in the marketplace. But you're seeing some of the announcements out of these big institutions like Brookfield and others, you know, billions and billions of dollars being, being raised. We see lots of non-dilutive government capital in the marketplace. And then what you've got in, in what we're seeing from a deal flow perspective is lots of talented entrepreneurs that maybe previously hung their hat in the in the upstream oil and gas business are sensing the same opportunity that we as an investor are seeing and they're bringing forward business plans. And as, as energy people, as engineers and, and, and lawyers and financiers in the energy space, they're bringing forward interesting opportunities in the energy transition area. So we're seeing both robust deal flow and as well as a lot of capital coming into the sector. So that's super optimistic because oftentimes that question leads to, well, yeah, geez, we need more over here. We need more over there. You're seeing a little bit more of a balanced opportunity as things, as things continue to evolve. I, and has that been recent? Like, is that, was it like that three years ago? Or are we, are we, are we reaching a sweet spot that's going to kind of benefit all of us from an ESG perspective as well as this opportunity to really create different and put capital to work? I think it's really turbocharged itself in the last, call it year. Um, okay. You know, maybe okay, if there was awesome. a, a movement in this direction three years ago, as I say, it's, it's growing exponentially. So, um, you know, people are just, it's in, it's in the news every day. It's playing out in policy. Uh, and so people are sensing an opportunity. Are you seeing Alberta, who better qualified? I'm going to put that statement out there. You and I joked a little bit before we even pushed the record button. 
are are we doing the things we need to do as a province to be the leader in this opportunity? As I will say again, who who better qualified? I'll say that with a bit of ego and a bit of pride at the same time. But what what are you seeing there? Any are we getting in our own way? Are we really are we getting it right? What's what, what's your what's your view? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd I'd say you know from a policy point of view, we're getting a lot of it right. You know, not, not always are we getting all of it right, and I'd, I'd rather not dive into specifics. But if you look at like. Um, you know, you know, Canada is focused on accelerating the development of a low-carbon economy um, through our economy-wide carbon tax and where that's going and the clean fuel standards. And so the policy things that they're doing are in the right direction. Um, and then, you know, from this beachhead that you talked about being in Calgary, think about the, and, and Edmonton for that matter, the deep bench of technical people that we have in the energy space, the established capital markets. We've got lawyers, we've got investment bankers that are energy people. We've got an entrepreneurial culture. Um, and um, we've got companies, existing companies. I mean, some of the largest investors into renewables in the last decade have been oil and gas companies. And so you've even got these existing platforms here that are wanting to invest. And so I can go on and on about why I think Calgary is well situated to do it. But um, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of our marketplace to lose at this stage. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm I think it'd op- be a tough argument to say we weren't situated. I guess the question is, uh, how well are we doing it? And is, is there you know, wave the magic wand, what obstacles could we move out of the way? Because I, th- I think you're right, there's a lot of, pro- the, 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 the knowledge, trust, and just the horsepower we have in this province, in this city, is staggering when it comes to this topic specifically. Mm-hmm. But, are, but, but are, we, are we doing it, or is it the risk of slipping through our fingers? And so I don't want to belabor the point, I just hate to miss out. I hate to have this conversation five years from now and talk about how we maybe missed the opportunity. No, I think, I, I think we're doing it. I, I, I think it's happening. Okay. And, you know, we're, I, I can't tell you the amount of deal flow that we're seeing out of, this, out of our, our city, and there's a lot of, I mean, much That's of the clean idea. tech work was being done out of Calgary or originally, um, and uh, you know, particularly as it relates to Alberta. And um, you know, I mean, pe- one thing that people don't necessarily completely appreciate about the oil and gas business is just how innovative it has been and needed to be in the last decade. Because they were in a um, they were in a knife fight with respect to you know low commodity prices, and they had to fix that by being innovative around costs fracking and all those other things to get the resource brought on at even lower cost structure. So there's a lot of innovative thinking and people resident in the oil and gas people in this sector. So to take that to energy transition is not a big leap. I appreciate that. I, I think, and I've had a lot of guests on the show, and they're like, whoa, whoa, if you don't think the oil and gas is, space is innovative, you're not paying attention. You're not asking the right questions because it's incredibly innovative. And I've talked to some very senior people at lots of large players. And they're like, whoa, let's talk about the innovation we've been doing for 20 years. We didn't just start innovating because someone put pressure from the outside. This has been part of our mandate. I'm curious, easy question to ask right now as we sit in a $100 oil world. I've moved to Calgary in 2000. I've seen a couple of booms and cycles and, oh, you know, it'll come back. But, you know, next time we'll diversify. Next time we'll do it differently. Has this one lasted? And this is a real, maybe a more of a philosophical question than anything. Has this one lasted long enough that maybe we've changed some of our way of doing things? Our, our, our tech startup scene that's maybe not energy related, some biotech, some of the things that we're doing in this province that have taken, feels like to me, they've taken a positive hold over the last eight years. But man, all of a sudden we've got a hundred dollar oil and that's a pretty compelling you know, business case to move back over and go all back in on the sector that's paid off many times before. Is it different this time? And I mean, this is a question that's probably been asked like many times over the last 50 years. Well, it, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it does, you know, I'll, I'll jinx it by talking about it. It does feel different this time at least in terms of, of from a sector point of view from oil and gas, this it's time does feel, um, notwithstanding what's happening with global politics aside, heading into that 
um, issue, which is a very serious issue, the industry was had reoriented itself in North America on being focused on free cash flow generation, real returns, and you know real returns on their capital employed, and that's leading to a whole different sort of producer mindset with respect to growth versus profitability. So, with respect to oil and gas markets, it does feel that this time like it is more sustainable, that it is um, uh, here to stay for a little bit longer. Now, having said that, uh, the, the world will eventually consume less oil. Um, tomorrow than it does today and so you have to be mindful about where you are and as I said you have to be what is different this time is the relentless focus on on ESG and sustainability and you need to be bringing a very good barrel to the marketplace if you have any hope of playing in this industry for the long term I really do believe in that and then uh, with respect to energy transition uh, it, it is different this time I mean the technology has come a long way as I said we were probably a little early to the party um, back in 2000, it's, you know, the analogy I use is sometimes the second owner of the golf course might be the most profitable owner. And it does feel like it could be, could be energy transitions time in that regard, right? A lot of these technologies and costs like what's happening with solar and wind, now competitive with any other, many other energy systems. Um, so this time, uh, the energy transition side also feels like a little bit different, like it's, it's more here to stay. It's, it's less tech bubblish, right? And technology. You know, we've got this demand, but there's also a technology that's allowing things to happen differently than they, than they have before. We're getting better at stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's just, there's just better fundamentals uh, in it. Yeah. And, then, um, and then, as I say, like this ESG thing's not a fad. It's, it, it's, here, to, it's, it's <laughs> here to stay. So I think you've got different fundamentals driving each industry at this time that I think have some longevity to them. Appreciate that perspective. It's, it's, it's exciting and very optimistic and positive. You talk about the good barrel concept. I really like that. And it feels like something that gets overlooked on the world stage where we get oil from places that I would say the barrel isn't quite as good as it might be here. And I love to talk about purpose and the, and the importance of that. It just feels so much like some of the activist uh, plays that really are negative towards the oil and gas sector tend to pick on areas of the world like Canada where we produce a barrel of oil that has ethical, like there's things thought about. When you look at other parts of the world where we're getting our oil from and human rights violate, there, you know, th there's an endless list. I'm curious when the, the, the PR and the marketing rhetoric that goes on out there, is that, do you ever see them starting to take that into consideration? Because I think if we did, the story could change very quickly about vilifying Western Canada or Alberta versus some of these other places in the world where we know they're just not nice. They're not doing nice things to get this oil out of the ground. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I, this is another area where I remain more optimistic. And I think, um, I think what's happening uh, from my vantage point, having watched where it, where it started uh, with you know, tackling Canadian oil sands or upstream oil and gas preferentially or, or something like that. I, mean, I guess, sure, there's been lots of written on that. It was, it was an easier place for them to get their message out there. And, you know, the world started to take notice or people in North America and Western Europe started to take notice. But now, you know, it, it, like people are trying to, now that they really want to tackle this problem, they're getting smarter about, boy, you know, what, what else is there? You know, you hear people talk about fast fashion for the first time. Oh boy, you know, that's not good for the environment. Hear people talk about uh, cement, um, and so they're trying to educate themselves on on how we actually deal with this problem. And as that education piece, as people decide to go deeper, um, they may give added consideration to some of those things that you're talking about. I mean, it was just yesterday that the Canadian federal government passed a, a law saying we're not going to import any Russian oil, 
well, uh, and you know, we don't import a lot of Russian oil today. We did in 2019. I bet you most Canadians would know we were importing Russian oil uh, into our eastern seaboard as recent as 2019, and we continue to import a fair amount of refined products. So it's just not on people's radar screen. And I think as, as they look to solve the problem more genuinely, they should look to get more educated on the problem and then focus on where are the best barrels. And I can tell you the smart institutions have already been doing that um, because they know that's the safer place to have your capital as well. To, and I, I think you made an interesting point, you know, back years ago when, you know, it was an easy target and it was an easy place to get the message out. But consumers are also taking a lot more responsibility for educating themselves. And I know we, we all get educated and influenced by sound bites, but the information's out there if you do want to go down the rabbit hole. And I think you're right, the consumer is becoming a lot more educated on everything from fashion. It's not just, oh, we're going to pick on the oil sands, which is maybe was an easy target at the time. There's just more information available now to make those educated decisions, which is an interesting, it's a journey that we're, that we're on. Um, Brian, really appreciate your perspectives and, and certainly just your honesty of kind of like, hey, here's what we're looking at and here's and here's what here's what we see. Magic wand question. If you could wave your magic wand in Western Canada, what would you change? Good, bad, or indifferent uh, to make it better? Um, I would just, um, you know, encourage um, Western Canadians and Canadians to really look at their their energy industry with great pride because there are so many aspects of it that we just do the right way. And um, it's either an industry that you can decide that you want to shy away from or shut down or you know, uh, turn off. And I, I think that is short-sighted. I, I think looking at how we go about it, whether it be from an E, whether it be from an S, or whether a G angle, um, uh, we do it well. And we do it amongst the best in the world here in Canada. And so take some pride in that. And then, you know, with pride in um, our traditional energy upstream oil and gas business and the fact that we're doing it the right way and a recognition that many of the players in that space, whether it be peoples or the companies, will be, the, as I said before, the backbone to drive into energy transition, it, it will get there faster if we have a healthy and supported oil and gas industry into that transition. Because they want to they go there. They want to be there into the future. And so, um, in a sense recognize what we have right in our own backyard and be proud of it. It's not something that we need to you know, shy away from or, or be ashamed of, that's for sure. Particularly when we look at it on a global stage. You can be very proud of what we're doing from an energy perspective uh, here in Canada. I love the I love the good barrel concept. I, I I for years I've seen a campaign there. I just haven't seen it actually happen in real life. So who who knows? I, I looked I looked to the road ahead on that. As a, as a marketer, I can't help but put my campaign filter on. I'm like, that's good. That's got some traction. We can we could like we our our first audience is our own country. Let's not forget. Like we need some education even east to west. <laughs> yeah, I mean like as I as, and actually I'm stealing this from a piece that was written by our founder. Um, the 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 last barrel should be the best barrel. And I actually think you can make some very credible arguments that some of the best barrels are in Canada. So let's making sure we're turning off the best barrels at the end, not turning them off early and having the best barrels be you know, prematurely truncated, that's for sure. It's a really interesting way to, to put it into perspective. Brian, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate the work you do. I appreciate your opinions today and you're willing to kind of share them on the show. It seems obvious, but what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, LinkedIn, visit your website? What do you, what do you recommend? Uh, probably, uh, if you go to the website, my email address is on there, and they can and shoot me an email. Oh, nice. That's right probably mm -hmm. the, the best way to get hold of me. And so, um, yeah, we're always looking for opportunities, particularly investment opportunities and smart uh, entrepreneurs. As I jokingly like to say, sometimes I'm like a headhunter with money. 
looking, running around <laughs> trying to find talent of people that want to start energy companies, whether they be oil and gas or energy transition, smart people with good ideas, and we can marry that up with our capital. So we're always looking for um, great businesses. And uh, Tyler, appreciate what you're doing, you know, supporting Calgary, supporting Western Canada, and, you know, leading this podcast, having, uh, bringing your ideas and your thoughts and your optimism to a, a larger community. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for thanks thanks for the yeah, like I always say I would do it if nobody listens, but thankfully they do and we get and we get out. And I think it was a very cool message. There's so if you don't think there's a lot going on in our province, it's just because you haven't taken the time to pay attention. This is an amazing amazing place, and I'm continually optimistic about it. But and again, chatting with people like you certainly certainly leads me on a kind of a, a kind of a higher uh, higher thought plane. So I do appreciate that, Brian. Thanks so much. I look forward to chatting again. Thanks very much. <laughs>